Good morning, Bridge. You sense a special sense of the presence of God in the house this morning? Is God at work in this place today or what? I just, I just told the song set, uh, the guys coming out, I said, I can't preach after that, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to go home and piddle in my shop the rest of my life. Come on, guys. God's in the move in the bridge today. We're in a series that we're calling Hashtag All the Feels, and we've been talking about, uh, since last week, and we will be for the next few weeks, talking about the common feelings that is just part of the human experience. We've been talking not just about those feelings, but what do you do biblically uh, when we find ourselves in those situations? Uh, last week, we talked about this idea of being overwhelmed, which I'm sure all of us have had to deal with from time to time. Maybe that's where you live. Uh, in weeks ahead, we'll be talking about what do you do when you feel resentment? What do you do when you, you feel regret? That's going to be an absolutely powerful day because the truth of the matter is all of us, all of us, did I say all of us? Did I say all of us? All but you are holding on to regrets that's holding us back from who we could be. Am I right? You don't want to miss that Sunday. And then we'll be talking about a dis- disappointment when life doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to or things aren't happening the way we thought they would or in the time we would, thought they would. And so it's going to be a powerful series as we continue. You know people that are wrestling with those feelings, get them in church over the next few weeks or point them to the, to the videos and, and let's just minister effectively at the place where we live. If you want those messages, go to info at bridgechurch.cc, send us an email, we'll be glad to send you the very notes that I'm using. And if you want to follow along today, and I hope you do, uh, then I, go to the Bridge app and, uh, and go to notes and journal it and save it and take notes and keep it and study it because uh, this is important stuff for all of us today. So today I've got to get into it. <coughs> uh, how, do you, how do you deal with the feeling when, when you just feel lousy? You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just, we call it lots of stuff. We call it the blahs. We call it the blues. I call it the can't help it. You know, I just, I don't feel like doing nothing and I just can't help it. That's just the way it is. I just, nah. I just, we get to those points. Uh, uh, psychologists, counselors call it mild depression, whatever term you want to use. The fact of the matter is it's more common than many of us realize. I read just recently that 17.5 million Americans deal with depression every year. One psychologist actually said that depression is the common cold of the mental health world. And I didn't say that because it's no big deal. It is. He just said it because it's that common. We all have to deal with these depressive kinds of thoughts. I like one study that I read, though. It said the more money you make, the more likely you are to be depressed. And uh, women are twice as likely to be depressed as men, which means poor guys like me are just happy as larks we got it made, right? (laughs) Truth is, depression is no respecter of person, male or female, rich or poor, White collar, blue collar doesn't matter. It's a reality that we all have to face because we still live in the sin-cursed world. In fact, some of the most famous people uh, in history uh, were plagued with depression. Winston Churchill, Abraham Lincoln, those guys are famous for going into deep bouts of depression, and yet they're history makers that we still talk about today. And some of the best-known biblical characters dealt with it as well. Moses did, Jeremiah did. And the guy that we're talking about today is probably the classic example of how you deal with this thing called depression, the blahs, the blues, whatever you want to call it, and, uh, and, he, and he was able to address it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be playing around in 1 Kings 18 and 19. You've got a Bible. You can turn there. Again, go to the Bible app and follow along with the notes if you want to. Before we get into it, though, I need to say a couple of things. 
First of all, I need to acknowledge that for some of you, either in the room or online, and we've got folks watching, we're averaging over 300 every week now that are watching online, and they're literally from all over the world, from Germany, from Italy, from, from different states around the country. If you're watching or if you're in the room right now, and depression is a very real issue, and I'm talking about clinical, chronic depression that you can't break free from, get help. Get help. Sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's physical. I mean, there's all kinds, those things are all intertwined, and so don't just say, I hope it'll go away, or this is just the way life is. Get help. Go talk to a counselor. Go see a doctor. Get some help. We'll help you any way that we can, but get some help. Second group I need to acknowledge is some of you are just, uh, you know, you're not going to relate to what I'm saying today because you're just happy. You're just happy people. You're just, you know, life is cool. And you're kind of like the time the fire and brimstone preacher got up and said, it won't be long before every one of you has died. <laughs> and everybody in the church went, Ooh. But one guy wasn't phased by it. So the preacher said, did you not hear me? It won't be long before every one of you from around here will be dead. And the guy said, dude, did you not hear what I'm saying? You're not affected by that? He said, no, I'm not affected because I'm not from around here. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're not from around here on this topic, but if that's you, I need to say two things to you. First of all, you may be blessed to avoid this, but you probably have somebody in your life who does struggle with it. Can I get a, a head nod? You don't have to look at them, but... It's true. And so if that's you, then number one, be patient. Be patient. It's easy to lose patience with people who are struggling with the blahs. And number two, when the opportunity presents itself, particularly when they ask, give them biblical advice. Okay? And build a bridge, get over it is not biblical advice. <laughs> Come on. So what we're going to do today is we're going to lean into that. For some of you, I, this is going to be a tool that will help you for the rest of your life. If you'll, if you'll get it and, and keep it and capture it in your heart, for others of you, perhaps there's somebody in your life that you can help. And again, if there's somebody that's got a clinical issue, a chronic issue, get more professional help. God gave us the medical profession on purpose. He knew what he was doing when he did. So let's get into it. First Kings chapter 18 and 19, uh, we're talking about Elijah, who was one of the Old Testament prophets, and just right from the get-go, Elijah had this, uh, this incredibly difficult task. God gave Elijah the assignment. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. God gave Elijah the assignment of going to the king and telling him, uh, you are wicked and your wife is worse. Anybody want his job? And not only are you wicked and your wife is worse, but because you are so wicked, the one true God uh, can't countenance what you're doing, and so he's going to bring a drought on the land, and a lot of people are going to die in the famine that comes from the drought. I mean, so that's his assignment, to go to the king and do that. Uh, one of the most wicked things that Ahab and Jezebel did was to introduce the, the worship of Baal, who was clearly a false god. Here's what happened. Somebody found a rock and carved it into the, to a figurine, and the king said, worship it, and the people did. People were really stupid back then. Aren't you glad that people nowadays don't worship things that are not worthy of worship? Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? And aren't you glad that people don't follow false leaders anymore, wicked leaders? Aren't you glad we don't have to deal with that anymore? What are you looking at me like that for? This is this reality of what they dealt with. 
He said, worship that rock carved into a shape, and they did, and Baal worship was bad stuff. I mean, pagan rituals, human sacrifice, this is really bad stuff. And so Elijah said, ultimately, the one true God can't tolerate this. Something's got to happen. So tension begins to rise in the nation. There's just all kinds of words out. The, the battle is coming until finally it winds up on a hillside called Mount Carmel where 450 prophets of Baal have assembled on one side and this lonely preacher on the other side who's been told by God to, to bring the nation back to him. So if you're thinking Elijah's outgunned, let me just let you know that the real battle hill here is against a rock that's been carved in the shape of a god and God. Elijah's got it made, okay? He just got to keep his eyes on the one that is in the true source. So let's walk through the story. Some of you know it. For those of you that don't or just get our wheels turning, let's walk through it very quickly. So they went up on this mount. Elijah said, let's build two separate altars. We'll build one over here, and then you can put sacrifices on it, and then I'll build one over here, and we'll put sacrifices on it, and then you guys can go first. And what I want you to do is just pray until your God sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, and then I'll do the same thing, and we'll see which one shows up. We'll see which one is the one true God. Let me just throw a little side note in here uh, that maybe for one of you, I don't know, um, if you've been worshiping something that isn't worthy of your worship, something that you have to maintain. What are you going to do when you need fire from heaven? Just ask yourself a question, okay? Maybe that's what you came here to do here today. I don't know. But they prayed and they cried and they screamed and Elijah taunted them a little bit and, and ultimately nothing happened all day long. Of course, a rock can't send fire to consume a sacrifice. And so now it's Elijah's turn and Elijah said, tell you what, before I pray, I need, I need something here. I need you to dig a trench around my altar uh, and I need you to go get 12 barrels of water. We're in drought season, but that's okay. We got to do this because I don't want there any suggestion that there's an accidental spark that somehow caused this to happen. So they pour 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice, runs down, fills the trench, and then, then Elijah prays this simple prayer in 1 Kings chapter 18. Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he prayed. Prove that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant. That's it. Just That's what he prayed. Prove that you are the one true God, and that I, in fact, have come to say these things because you're the one that sent me to say them. He goes on to pray, show these people that you've commanded me to do these things, Lord. Answer my prayer so these people will know that you are God. Verse 38, then fire from heaven came down and burned the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the ground around the altar. It dried up the water in the ditch. You got that scene? So the prophets of Baal are defeated, Baal worship is broken down, and the worship of the one true God begins to rise again in the nation. What a cool story from the Bible. But that isn't even the best part of the story. Here's where it really gets cool. God tells Elijah, okay, you've done it, so now I'm going to end the drought, it's going to rain, and it's going to rain big. So he goes to the king and says, Ahab, the rain is about to start it's going to be a really big rain, so I suggest that you get in your chariot and ride as fast as you can to get back to Jerusalem because you're going to get stuck in the mud. This is three and a half years of no rain. You're going to get stuck in the mud if you don't hurry. You, you tracking with me? Do you hear like this? You tracking with me? 
So Ahab goes down, gets in his chariot, takes off to Jerusalem riding as fast as he can, and the power of God comes on Elijah, and he runs to Jerusalem and gets there first. Now put yourself in Ahab's shoes, who's just seen this amazing thing on Mount Carmel. He's just raced as fast as his horses can carry him back to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, here's Elijah going, what's for lunch, dude? I don't know about you, but I'd be freaking out if I was Ahab, and if I was Elijah, I'd be doing my happy dance. I'd be going, <laughs> I'd be talking some smack. Any smack talkers in the house? Come on. Uh, but the simple truth is, Elijah didn't do any of that. Let's pick up the story in verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 4. Then Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert. He sat down under a bush and asked to die. I've had enough, Lord, he prayed. Let me die. What? No happy dance? No smack talk? Instead, he turns around and walks away into the depths of the desert and prays to die. Does that make sense to you? I mean, what happened? And, and, and more importantly, um, what did he do to get out of that funk? How did he get there, and what did he do to get out of it? And that's the story I want us to lean into this morning. The backstory story is, is really cool stuff. Go back and read chapter 17, 18 again in your own time, and just because there's a whole much detail I didn't give you. But I, what I want to do is lean into what happened afterwards, what helped Elijah or perhaps prodded Elijah to get into this funk, and then more importantly, what did he begin to do to break free from that funk so that the best of his days the rest of his days were, in fact, the best of his days for the kingdom of God. I want to give you two warning signs that are indicators that we might be slipping into the blues if we aren't careful. And then I want to give you two things you can do to break free if you catch yourself in those things. So is that worth a few minutes of our time? Two things that, uh, that we need to be aware of, watch for. They're warning signs that if you don't address this, you're slipping. You're going to end up in the, in the blahs maybe even a depression full-blown, and two things we can do to begin to break free when you catch yourself going down that road. Let's get into it. Number one, the first thing we have to, have to watch for is we have to watch for the warning signs. And there are four specific warning signs that are right here in this passage. If you aren't careful, and, and the Bible's full of this stuff, if you aren't careful, you will read through a story like that and hit the highlights and miss the point of the whole story. That's why you gotta, you got to read. you got to sometimes read slow. I love for you to read through the Bible in a year. I love for you to do that. But every now and then, you just got to slow down and, and spend a few days, a few weeks in a chapter and say, God, what are you trying to say to me out of this chapter, out of this verse? Because there's so much rich stuff in here. And when you go back to the story and you start looking in more detail at what happened to Elijah to get him to that place that he's now in the desert praying to die, you can pick up on some warning signs and that's what I want to point out to you today. First warning sign is exhaustion. In fact, depression is often one of those things that we don't even realize we're in it until somebody comes along and says, dude, are you okay? You've been kind of off lately. And what's the classic answer? Well, I've just been tired. 
right? It's just, we don't realize we're in it because in a while we just start thinking, you know, I'm kind of tired and, and this is just the way life is until somebody calls uh, us out. Look at Elijah's situation. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, this guy had to be worn slam out. He just did battle with 450 prophets of Baal. And if you don't think spiritual warfare is exhausting, do some. It's huge. And then he ran 18 miles back to Jerusalem faster than a chariot can run. This guy's tired, okay? He's worn out. Second warning sign, I gotta move on, is, is what I call the after the high lows. The after the high lows. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever heard of a postpartum depression? You, you heard of that one? Hello, are you out there? Do, you, do your hands work? You just come on, work with me here, okay? It's just that that's what happens. This amazing experience, this adrenaline rush of new life, new joy, new baby, and then afterwards it's just kind of this fall off. We're finishing up the Winter Olympics, and I'm told by a lot of different sources that some of the people that hit gold go into a deep depression after the Olympics. Why? Because this whole drive to get there, they're utterly exhausted when it's over, and after the high, it's what do I do with the rest of my life now? And there's a depression that comes in, so you've got to be aware of the fact that just because you're kind of riding the wave of success right now does not make you immune to the blues. It often is a warning sign that you need to be aware of. Third warning sign that Elijah had to deal with was, uh, was constant problems. You see, Elijah didn't just have a problem. He had lots of problems. I mean, he had to stand in front of the king and tell him he was wicked. He had to tell him his wife was wassa. He had to face the drought just like everybody else. He had to face those guys on the mountain. He, he had to put his faith on the line and pray, God, I want you to show these people that I actually heard from you and I'm doing what you want me to do. And then he found out Jezebel put a bounty on his head and has sent hitmen after him. I mean, so you talk about problems. This guy's got problems right? He had to be thinking, what's next? I mean, I can't, I can't do this anymore. What, what, what's going to happen now? You talk about when it rains, it pours. You ever use that expression? Here's the deal, guys. All of us have problems. Amen. Am I the only one that has a problem? All of us have problems. Here's the deal. In many cases, it's a small enough problem that we can manage it. But what happens sometimes is we get enough of those small problems that they start linking together, piling up on us, and they almost become like an anchor that pulls us down. Any one of them we could have processed through. But the preponderance of problems, is that a fancy way to say it? Uh, this, this is the load of the problem starts to pull us down. And so you've got to be aware of the fact that maybe it's, maybe it's financial hits that you keep taking. Maybe it's family tensions that seem to be escalating instead of, uh, of, of uh, dialing back. Whatever it is, eventually the strongest people with the deepest faith sometimes find themselves thinking, I don't know if I can keep doing this or not. Any one of the problems you could deal with, but the collection of them becomes too hard to deal with, and you find yourself just shutting down. Somebody said it this way, even the shadow of a small building looks like a skyscraper when the sun is going down. The truth is, all of us have to deal with that, and when it comes, you've got to say, whoa, no, wait a minute, I've got to be really careful, or I could find myself slipping into a depression. The fourth warning sign was perhaps the biggest for Elijah, and it's just loneliness. 
In verse 10 it says, we'll look at the full verse in a minute, but for now just let me tell you that in verse 10 it says, I'm the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You're talking about feeling lonely, isolated. That, that's what he's feeling. And, and, and let's just be honest, guys. Loneliness can be incredibly crippling. Am I right? Is it true? Ask any inmate who gets into solitary confinement. It's the worst punishment they can come up with is solitary confinement. Write a soldier or a sailor who's been overseas for a long time. Visit a nursing home and ask a senior who never gets a visit from their family. Talk to a single mom or dad who never has adult interaction. Talk to a recently divorced or widowed person who starts thinking, everybody in my life is a couple and I'm a single. Loneliness is, is a reality that we have to deal with, and when you face it, when you're in it and you don't deal with it, it can be incredibly depressing. Elijah hit every one of those. He was tired. He had the after the high low. He had loads of problems, and he found himself saying, I'm all by myself now. I'm alone. When that happens to you guys, you're, you're susceptible to the second trap, and that is we forget God's blessings. If you don't pay attention to the warning signs, inevitably you're going to get to the place that you will forget God's blessings. There's no question Elijah had problems. But if that's all you see in the story, then you miss the point of the story because right in the middle of all those problems is the hand of God working in amazing ways. Right in the middle of all the junk, here's God doing amazing things on Mount Carmel. He's proving to the entire nation that he is God uh, in the race back to Jerusalem. Elijah gets the power to run faster than a chariot when he's in the cave depressed. God came to him personally, sent ravens to feed him. I mean, in the midst of all the problems, God is still showing up. God is still doing amazing kinds of things. But if you aren't careful, if you aren't careful, you will get so focused on the problems that you no longer see the blessings. You know that's one of Satan's favorite tools? You know that? We are called upon to magnify the Lord. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? It means to fill our view with him, to make him bigger than everything else, to recognize who he is for real. You know what Satan's favorite tool is? It's to magnify your problems. And here's how I've seen it happen over the years, many, many times. I've had ladies come to me and say, this is how all men are. That's just the way men are. That's how men act. And when I dig into it a little bit, I find out that there is one man that hurt her. What does Satan do? He exploded it until that's how all men are. I got hurt in church. I, churches are just horrible people. Everybody that goes to church is a horrible person, and I dig into it, and you know what I find out? There's one person or one small group that said something that was hurtful to them, and Satan has magnified that problem to a point that all they can see is the problem, and he actually makes it bigger than the problem actually is. When you catch yourself moving from one person did something to that's the way it always is, you need to understand that you've allowed yourself to listen to the enemy of your soul. You've allowed yourself to listen to the father of lies, the accuser of the brothers. 
You've allowed yourself to slip into it. The, the song we just sang, powerful song that we just sang, that Jared introduced to us, had a line in it that I absolutely love. It said, when the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me that I belong to you. If you don't do that, guys, you need to understand that you will find yourself prey to the blues, the blahs, the depressions, whatever you want to call it. It's going to happen. And so you've got to guard your heart. You've got to make sure that you watch for those warning signs because they come to all of us. We're still living. This isn't heaven. This is earth. It comes to all of us. And when it comes, we have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ and say, I choose to believe the truth, not the lie that the enemy is bringing to me. And my God is bigger than my problem. My God is bigger than my problem. Am I the only one going to say that this morning? My God is bigger than my problem. One more time. My God is bigger than my problem. See, here's the good news. This is not the end of Elijah's story. We're just at halftime in Elijah's story. There's so much more going on in Elijah's life so that the rest of his life is, in fact, the best of his life that we have to keep reading when we get into that part of chapter 19. We've got to keep going. And, in fact, it points out two kind of beginning points, two things that we can begin to do that will help us to begin to break free when you catch yourself slipping into the blues, slipping into the blahs, two things that you can do. You're interested? You ready? Number one, this is going to challenge some of your thinking, but here we go. Number one, when I'm feeling depressed, I have to do what I can do. Do what you can do. One of the signs that you're in depression is that you struggle to get up. Is that right? I mean, you've been there. You've known people that have been there. That they just they don't want to get out of bed in the morning. They lay on the couch all day. Come on, get up and do something. I just can't. I just don't have the energy. And that's just reality of what happens when we slip into this depression. We slip into even mild blows or blues. We get stuck in our lives. And there's so many times, as I look back on my life, that I came to that point. And the, and the number one thing that everybody said to me is, Jim, you got to get up. you got to get moving. And so when you find yourself in this thing, you've got to say, well, there's a whole lot of things I can't do, but there's bound to be something I can do, and what I can do, I'm going to do. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to get moving. First Kings, let me give you some examples here. First Kings chapter 19, verse 5. Then he, Elijah, lay down under the tree and slept. Wait a minute. You just told me to get up and do something. Well, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Not right now. <laughs> it would embarrass me to call you out, so I just don't want to do that. But sometimes, remember one of the, one of the warning signs that the depression is coming is exhaustion? Sometimes you just got to lay down and take a nap. And that's what Elijah did. What am I saying? I'm saying just as fatigue is a cause, rest is a cure. You can't, you can't ignore that. Last week we talked about this in detail that we live in this culture where tired seems to be the norm. 
I mean, our, our, we're, we're glued to our cell phones all day, and so we're, we're texting and emailing 24-7, middle of the night. We're look, getting up and looking at our phones. We go to dinner with our favorite people, and we're all looking at our phones. We're texting each other across the table. I mean, it's just amazing the, the culture that we've developed. Uh, we don't even turn our phones off during church. I was preaching a funeral some time ago, and in the middle of the eulogy, somebody's phone went off, and he answered it. At a funeral, you know, chapel, 150 seats, small room. And he's, he's, well, you know, I'm at a funeral, and now I can't really talk. And he got up and crawled over the people that was next to him, and he started walking out center aisle and said, well, yeah, well, I'll be out in a minute. Hang on. It's like he's oblivious to where he is. Well, I just stopped preaching. I just stood back and just waited for him to leave and picked it up from there. Guys, uh, what, what, what's going on in our world when, when we can't disconnect for a few seconds to worship? or to grieve the loss of a loved one. What is going on in our world? My point is, we kind of got into this place where that's the norm and we don't know how to stop. One guy, one guy described it as like we're holding a wolf by the ears and we don't want to be there, but we're afraid to let go. That's a word picture, isn't it? Hear me, just as fatigue is part of the cause, rest is part of the cure. Elijah rested. But after a while, he prayed. Look at 1 Kings 19.10. He answered, Lord God, all-powerful, I have always served you as well as I could, but the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you, destroyed your altars, and killed your prophets with swords. Here's what the phrase I gave you a moment ago. I am the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, it's a little bit of a whiny prayer. but it's an honest one. Now, we put on the garment of praise to overcome the spirit of heaviness. That's what the Scriptures say. But every now and then, if that's not the way you're feeling, how do you pray? Oh, God, I don't like the way things are at all right now. I mean, read the Psalms. They're full of David whining about stuff that he didn't like. God didn't zap him. It's not like God said, well, shazam, I didn't know you felt like that. Guess I got to zap you now. Boom. That's not what's going on. How do I know it was okay for Elijah to pray that prayer? What do you think God said to him? Look at verse 18. He said, how dare you talk to me like that? You ought to hide those feelings from me because I don't like to be bothered with dark feelings. Is that what it says? What did God say to him? I have 7,000 people left in Israel who have never bowed before Baal and whose mouths have never kissed that stupid little rock that carved into an idol. What are you talking about alone? You're not alone, man. There's 7,000 people around you. What did God say? He said, I understand what's going on, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to pull you out of this junk by telling you the truth. Now, hear me. The only way that made any difference to Elijah at all is if he connected with those 7,000 people. Can I be honest with you? Just, I'm going to be, whether you give me permission or not, it's just nice to ask. Um, I love this church. I mean, it is one of the honors of my life to be asked to lead you for a season. I'm serious. But the bridge can be one of the loneliest places on the planet. 
when you come into this crowd and everybody seems to have their act together and you know you don't. And I believe God sent me here to say to some of you, there are a couple thousand people that still serve God and they care about you. You. But you have to connect with them for that to mean anything. You got to go beyond attending Sunday morning services. You got to join a serve team. You got to get in a life group. You got to start building relationships. You got to get involved, or this can be one of the loneliest places anywhere. But I want you to hear me say you are not alone. Here's the deal, guys. For some of you, if you want to start moving out of the blahs and the blues, if you want to move toward healing, some of you need to get some rest. Others of you need to pray and let God speak into you, and some of you need to connect. But whatever it is that your next step is, you've got to get back in the game. You've got to do what you can do or the depression becomes a cycle that gets worse, not better. Here, here's, that's what Elijah did. Look at chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah left that place and found Elisha plowing a field with a team of oxen. Elijah came up to Elisha, took off his coat, and put it on Elisha. Then Elisha left his oxen and ran to follow Elijah. There's a whole lot of Elijah Elishas in there that get confusing sometimes. But here's the bottom line. Elijah got up, an old man who's tired and exhausted and after the high lows and all that stuff. He got up, brushed himself off, and he went and found a young man that he could invest in. He went and found somebody that he could do something for. So when I tell you that one of the cures for the blahs for you is to do what you can do, I don't necessarily mean do what you can do for you. I mean do what you can do for somebody else. Because that is actually either the ceiling or the launching pad to your own healing. Getting up and doing something for somebody else and watching them get blessed ultimately will have more healing effect on you than getting up and doing something for yourself. That's what Elijah did. He got up and said, yeah, come on. (laughs) I I got to move on, but let me capture this because this is huge. Anybody here ever had surgery or a traumatic accident of any kind? You know somebody that has? Yeah, most of us have experienced that on one level or another. (laughs) Here's what happens. After your surgery, after the trauma, uh, the doctors come in and say, now lay still or you're going to tear your stitches out, right? need you to be still for a while because you just got to heal. And then one day the doctor walks in and says, we're going to get up today. (laughs) And what's your answer most of the time? I don't want to. It will hurt if I get up. And the doctor is going to say, I know, but... It's going to get worse if you don't. (laughs) Muscles are going to start atrophying. You're going to develop pneumonia. All this stuff's going to happen if you don't get up. So I know it's going to be painful, but it's time to get up. And if all we do is get up the side of the bed and stand there, if that's all we do the first day, you did what you could do. And the next day, we're going to take a couple of steps. And before you know it, you're going to the bathroom on your own. And then before you know it, you're walking down the hall. One day, I had a lady 
in the first church that Kim and I served, uh, who was 90 when she fell and broke her hip, had never seen a doctor, you know, in a doctor care kind of scenario in her entire life. Had all of her babies by, by a midwife, and, you know, if somebody got sick, you just fixed it, grown up on the farm. And so at 90, she broke her hip. They took her to the hospital. And I got there to the hospital to visit, and she was waiting to go into the operating room to put a pin in her hip. And, uh, and I walked in the door. She said, preacher, tell them to take me home. And I said, well, Miss Lula, if, uh, if you'll let them fix you, uh, you can walk again. And she said, I don't need to walk. You can strap one leg to the other and put me in a rolling chair. I don't care. Just take me home. <laughs> and I tried to reason with her, tried to do everything I could think of to get her to do it. And I finally just looked at her. I got right down in front of her face to face. And I said, Miss Lula, you know I love you, right? She said, yes, I do. I said, here's what, here's what you need to know. They are not going to let you go until you walk. And I saw her set her jaw. Ten days later, I went to visit her. She's walking down the hall with a walker. Two weeks later, she was home living alone again. Why? Because she knew that if she wanted to be whole again, she had to do what she could do. She had to get moving. Hear me, I've seen some people who were too big for God to use, but I've never seen anyone who was too small or too humble to be used. So no matter what's going on in your life right now, God can use you to bless somebody else, and it ultimately will be part of your own healing. You hear me? Well, I just don't know what to do. Well, let me give you a little mechanism. Here's a little tool that I've used. I, I, I literally, I've used this after every pastoral counseling session over the years and, and, uh, and many situations in my personal life as well. Here's a little mechanism. <coughs> take a piece of paper. <coughs> excuse me. Take a piece of paper. Draw a line down the center of it. On the left side of your paper, write down the things that you have control over. And on the right side of the paper, write down the things that you have no control over. I'm serious. Just sit down. Everything you can think of. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. No, I got no control over that. I can't control what somebody else is doing. I can't control how they respond. I can't control this circumstance that, that's beyond my control. I mean, you just create a list. Now, here's the deal. Once you've created that list, the column on the left becomes your to-do list. And the column on your right becomes your prayer list because there is no problem. Did we mention this? There is no problem too big for God. It may not be in your control, but it is very much in His. So you do what you can and you pray the rest to God that He will be God in that circumstance. First step to breaking free from the blahs, do what you can. So let's make it a confession this morning. I will do what I can. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I will do what I can. I will do what I can. Second step is you've got to focus on God's promises. Just as Satan would have you multiply or magnify the problems, if you want to break free from that, you've got to magnify the promises. You've got to begin to say, wait a minute, I don't even know all the things that God is doing, but but I know what He's promised to do, and I'm going to start focusing on His Word because my life is based not on how I feel. My life is based on what I know to be true, the Word of God. 
I know when, it's, when you're down, it's hard to believe the future is going to be any better, but God's promises always bring hope. There's always hope in God's promises. So whatever your problems are, you come back to, um, to his promises. I'm told there's 6,000 promises in the Bible for believers. And yes, it is for believers because the scriptures are clear. You have to believe it can be before it can be. That's according to your faith will it be done to you, Jesus said. If you don't believe it can, it probably can't. But if you start believing that it can, you start saying, you know what, this is what God said, and I believe that's true, then it can become true for you. No way I can mention 6,000 promises, but I do want to mention three, and then I'll let you go. Promise number one was so important to some of us. Psalm 34, 18. I've, I've read this promise to myself and to my wife many times in the last four months. God is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. Whether you feel like it or not, that's true. When you feel like heaven is silent as midnight, he's the closest to you. Remind yourself of that promise. Focus on that promise. Let me show you how close he is, in fact. Second promise, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself speaks to God for us, even begs God for us with deep feelings that words cannot explain. You know what that's saying? It's saying that you, you may get to that place where you know you need to start praying and you can't even think of what to pray. Well, the Holy Spirit will do that for you because he's close enough to you that he knows what's going on inside of you and he will translate that to the words that the throne of God really needs to hear on your behalf. Now, isn't that powerful to have the Holy Spirit operating in our lives that way? Remind yourself, I don't know how to pray, but he does. And he will pray for me. I can't even explain it, but somehow I know. And I've been in those settings. I don't know if you have, but I've been in those settings where God was praying. I've got a good friend. I may have told this story to you before, but I've got a good friend who's a Presbyterian pastor in central North Carolina. And his wife had uh, uh, Crohn's and, and lots of surgeries related to Crohn's and, and ultimately became septic. And, uh, and they wondered, frankly, if she was going to live. He called me one day and, and said, Jim, I, I, just, I need to ask you a question. And I said, sure, what's up? He said, I... Something's happened to me this morning, and I, I, don't even, I don't know how to explain it. I don't understand it. I need you to explain it to me. And he's, just, he's, he's hyper. He's just fired up. And I'm going, Jeff, calm down, calm down. Talk to me. What's going on? He said, I was praying for my wife today, and I've been praying for her for a year now, and, and I ran out of things to pray, and I didn't even know what to pray. And I found myself praying, and I didn't understand the words that I was saying, and I don't know what happened, but somehow I know in my spirit my wife's been healed. Does that make sense to you? And I said, well, sure it does. Have you read Romans 8, 26 lately? He said, well, I have, but you don't understand. I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> We're the frozen chosen. We don't do that stuff. So this ain't got nothing to do with denomination or doctrine or whatever. This is, this is a wife who needs to be healed, and you don't know how to pray for her, and the Holy Spirit will do it for you. Let him, let him, let him. Once you understand that God is building this tapestry of your life, then you lean into him when you're hurting, which brings us to the third promise I wanted to point out, and we'll close. Romans 8, 28 and 9, it's a staple for many of us. 
We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those to love God and according according to his purpose, that we become like his son. Everything that happens in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is father-filtered, and he will work it somehow into this pattern to help you become more like Jesus because at the end of the day, the only thing we take into eternity is our character, and that's what he wants. He cares more about your character than he does your comfort because that's eternal. Oh, God, how are you going to use this in my life? Whatever the cause, maybe there's a cause we haven't even talked about today. Whatever it is, do what you can. Focus on the promises of God. Elijah took what he couldn't control to God He got up and did what he could for God. And the result was he wound up investing in young Elisha's life and at the due time passed the mantle of anointing to Elisha and Elisha did twice as much as Elijah ever did. The rest of his life was the best of his life because he handled the blahs God's way. It's your call. Let's pray. Lord, we don't like the blahs, the blues, the yucks, the depression. We don't, don't, we don't like it. We don't like it when we're in it. We don't like it when people we care about are in it. It's so easy to start thinking there's no way out of this, and this is just the way life's going to be from now on. So would you help us, Lord, first of all, to... Pay attention to the warning signs so we can catch it before we start that slide into the blahs. And if we find ourselves in it, Lord, at whatever level, would you help us to remember the cure, the way out? Is to do what we can, not for us, for others. And remember your promises, not my problems. Easier said than done, but Lord, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would empower us to do that as we make a commitment this morning. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you and God. Just just sit real still for a minute because I think this is a crucial moment for some of us. I want you to pray a simple prayer. Pray it in your own words, but let it go something like this. God, I am tired of the blahs. I'm tired of this numbness. I'm tired of depression. This is not who I want to be. So I'm looking to you for the strength to get up and get moving, to do what I can do, trust you to empower me. I'm just going to take the step of faith to start. And as I do, I'm going to focus on your promises, not my problems. And trust that somehow you're going to work this into a pattern for good. You praying that prayer, guys?
We've got some older workers that'll be here in just a couple of minutes. Some of you need to pray that prayer in agreement with somebody who understands these principles before you leave here today. Do not, I beg you, do not leave this room saying, oh yeah, that was a good message. Yeah, well, okay, fine, thanks. This is action step kind of stuff, guys. So Father, see us and know us. Draw us out of the junk that Satan throws at us so that we can, in fact, believe the truth, not the lies that he throws. And then bring healing to our lives and to our families. In Jesus' name, one more prayer. There may be some of you here have never asked Jesus to come into your heart. You've never started this relationship with him. And I just got to say to you, I am so glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online. I'm so glad you're watching. You can start that relationship with him right now, this very moment, by saying simply, I don't even understand all this, but I need you. Forgive me for trying to do life my way. Help me to start doing it your way and help me to get a fresh start today. I'm here by authority of God's word to tell you a fresh start is yours. You get a new life. Thank you, Jesus, for the lives you're speaking into right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for a fresh start, would you do me the honor of texting me? Just text the words new life to 55498. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved, you're rescued. Well, we got a 21st century way for you to do that. Just text it to us. We'll be praying for you, okay? Would you stand with me, church? The altars are open. Prayer workers will be here in just a moment. Come and pray with somebody before you leave here. Next week, we're continuing this journey. Bring somebody with you that's struggling with resentment because we're going to find biblical answers to get us free from the resentments that so often invade our lives. Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you, serving you, and finding the life that you promised us. Go with us. Keep us safe. Bring us together again at the appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.